okay? Because show of hands, how many of you find talking about Jesus at work, at school, in your families, you find it hard? It's hard, especially I find in the culture that we live in today, we don't, you know, what people say here in Canada, we're a post-Christian nation. I actually think we're well beyond a post-Christian nation. We are a pre-pagan nation. Okay. We're well beyond post-Christian. Okay. And so living out our faith as followers of Jesus in a pre-pagan culture, what does that mean? How does it, how do we actually share our faith in Jesus? It's hard. It's difficult. And maybe some of you are here today and you've got that spiritual gift of evangelist as well, too. And, and you're not, you don't find it hard to share your faith. But maybe, again, show of hands. How many of you see very little fruit, very little lives being changed in when you share your faith in Jesus? It just doesn't seem to have an impact in the lives of people that we love, in the lives of people that we care about. So that's what I want us to do today. We're gonna, it's going to be a very practical message today coming from this text that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you can open up there. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on events there and you can see the outline and you can follow along that way. And if you're here today and uh, you don't own a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. And also if you're joining online and you, your family doesn't own a Bible, uh, email me. Kevin at greenbelt.church, and I will send you a free physical Bible because I believe every household should own a Bible. And my hope and my desire today is that for you as as a follower of Jesus, it would equip you to feel more confident as a witness of Jesus. And if you're joining us today and you would say, actually, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I just came with a family member. I just came and I'm checking this out online. My hope for you today is that you would understand our passion a little bit more and understand why we're excited about talking about Jesus. And it will help you to understand more and more who Jesus is. So we started this series off looking at how um, we have power, that God has given supernatural power, supernatural abilities to every single follower of Jesus in order to go out into the world and make disciples. See, this power, the Holy Spirit, is not just given to a select few super-Christians. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. Every single Christian has been given spiritual gifts that are needed and necessary for the building up of the body of Christ. That's why I actually had someone tell me this recently. He said, well, I'm not too sure I want to attend your church. And I go, why is that? I said, because you're going to make me do something, aren't you? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what church is supposed to be. It's not sit around and just take and get and get. The purpose of the church is to be a part of the mission and all of us using our gifts and our talents for the glory of God. You know, we talked about the importance of fellowship. And this isn't just a fancy Lord of the Rings term. The people who use fellowship the most in my circles are my nerd and my geek friends. But fellowship is about this intimate relationship that we have with one another to spur one another on to become more like Jesus in order to grow. We talked about how God gives us the words to share in the world that we live in. And the words that God has given you to share is your story. 
You don't have to share my story. Share your story on what God has done in your life. And we also talked last week how God wants to deal with the sin in the church in order to equip us to go. So often, again, as the church, we get obsessed and we get distracted by the sin of the world. But we forget 97% of the verses in in the New Testament that talk about sin is talking about sin right here in the church. God cares greatly on how you and I live. And we need to take sin in the church very seriously. Why? Because our children are watching us. Why would we ever be surprised that our children would walk away from the Lord when they are seeing the hypocrisy in our own lives? Why would we ever be surprised that our colleagues and our friends want nothing to do with the message of Jesus when they see the sin in our lives? Because they go, it doesn't make any difference. So God cares greatly about sin. And so today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 8, looking at this message of Jesus. How do you and I share the message of Jesus? Very, very practical steps that we can look at today from this text. I'm just going to summarize because we skipped over some passages here. Um, And so I just want to kind of summarize a little bit what is going on here at this point in the book of Acts. For the first several chapters in the book of Acts, we actually see the early church receiving great favor from the people. The people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem are actually pretty blown away by what God is doing. And they're seeing this supernatural power of God at work. And they're seeing a small handful of people, 120 people, suddenly receive this power and suddenly start speaking in languages that they've never been able to speak. And suddenly that 120 turns into 3,120. And then they all receive power. And then the apostles begin healing people and teaching people and standing boldly before the religious leaders. And then, they, and then more people start coming to faith. We see, we see 5,000 men. So you can guesstimate that that's probably about 12,000 to 15,000 more people become a part of the church. So now we're pushing close to 20,000 people in the city of Jerusalem alone. And people are seeing the generosity of the church, seeing the church care for widows and orphans and feeding the poor and healing the sick. And there's great favor that's happening until, until Acts chapter 7. Because something really interesting starts to happen in Acts chapter 7. I'm just going to read this here from Acts chapter 7, verse 7. It says this. It says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So again, this 20,000 is multiplying rapidly. It's multiplying greatly. We don't know where the numbers are at by this point, but it may have doubled by now. It could have tripled by now. And then right at the very end of verse 7, it says this, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
Suddenly now this message of Jesus, now there were always Sadducees and Pharisees that were curious about Jesus. We get some examples in the New Testament, like a man named Nicodemus, who looks like they had become Christians, that they had put their faith in Jesus. We see a religious leader there at the crucifixion of Jesus and his death. And um, so we do know that the message of Jesus was impacting the religious leaders, but it was very, very minute. And now there's a big shift that happens here. Many, many of the priests are now realizing who Jesus is, that he truly was the Messiah. He truly was the King of Kings. He truly was the Lord of Lords. He truly is the Son of God. He truly came to take away the sins of the world. And suddenly people who had spent their whole lives immersed in this religious, traditional methodology of worshiping God start being transformed. And that when the persecution starts. It's fascinating when you study church history on how often persecution comes when you begin to mess around with the methods (laughs) of how many church leaders throughout church history do we see driven out burned at the stake called horrible names because they tried to change the method (laughs) even making the bible available in English brought death to church leaders. There's something that happens that when suddenly the methods change, persecution comes. And that's exactly what we see beginning to happen here in the book of Acts. The church was receiving great favor. Suddenly all of these priests, they start following Jesus. And now the priests who were hanging on to their power, hanging on to the way things were, they don't like this. They don't like the fact that their brothers are changing. They don't like the fact that these leaders are changing. And so they hammer down. And we start to learn of a leader named Saul who goes out with, man, passion and zeal to crush this movement that's impacting his brothers, (laughs) impacting the people that he admires, impacts the leaders that he has grown up with and has studied with and learned with, right? And so Acts chapter 8 begins in verse 1 with these crazy powerful words. It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what happens here at the very beginning of Acts chapter 8 is the tens of thousands, the tens of thousands of new believers actually because of persecution, begin to fulfill Jesus' promises from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then we'll get to the rest of the earth. See, it's funny how God works, 
how suddenly it's in persecution the church fulfills the call of Jesus. It's in our hardship that the mission of Jesus is, an, is accomplished. It's in our discomfort. It's in our sacrifice. It's in a mindset where suddenly I no longer have favor of the people around me. I no longer have favor with the politicians around me. I no longer have favor with the business leaders around me. I no longer enjoy the comforts of being a leader in a Christian nation where suddenly it's in difficulty and it's in challenge where Jesus' commands are fulfilled. (laughs) So when we get discouraged about the culture that we're in, when we get discouraged about the pandemic, when we get discouraged about schools and workplaces and politics and all of these things, I actually find that we could take great comfort that it's not a Christian nation. Because it's actually in the non-Christian nations where the church is growing the fastest. <laughs> It's actually in persecuted countries where more and more and more people are coming to Jesus. And it's a fascinating thing to study. And so that is what is going on in Acts chapter 8. And I also believe it's exactly what's going on in your life. And I can say that with some level of confidence because it's exactly what's going on in my life. I live in the exact same world you live in. I have family members and friends and, co- and, and different people who are part of my life who struggle with the Christian message just like people in your lives. So now let's read. So that's just kind of a big setup so that you can fully understand that what you deal with in sharing your faith is no different, is no different than what these people were dealing with sharing their faith. I think, sadly, we try to make excuses and we say, no, well, our culture is worse. Our culture is more opposed to the gospel. It's not. It's, it's just not. You can see this all throughout history. It's always been hard. But praise be to God, um, we still have the same Holy Spirit at work. <laughs> so now let's read together Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to start reading in verse 26. And we're going to unpack this story together to show how you and I can share our faith in order to see God move in a mighty way. So Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip is a disciple of Jesus. He's been going around from town to town sharing um, the gospel, and he's been sharing primarily the gospel to Samaritan villages. Now Samaritans, if you're not familiar with who they are, um, the Jewish people don't like them. And the Samaritans don't like the Jewish people. And so Philip, a Jewish man, is going into towns with people who don't like him, sharing the good news of Jesus to people he doesn't like. Just put that in your back pocket, okay? When you don't like someone, when you don't agree with someone, when you don't want to argue with someone, here's an example of a man going into a town of people he doesn't like, people who don't like him, and he's sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So now again, back to 26, says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, of the Kandaki, which means the queen of Ethiopians. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. And how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And so the eunuch asked asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. You see, God's desire for your life, God's desire for my life, God's desire for the church has not changed in 2,000 years. See, God's desire for your life, God's desire for the church is that we would still go and baptize See, that is the great commission of the church. That's the marching orders of Jesus to go out into all the world, teaching people the good news of Jesus, teaching people about Jesus's life, how he was prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth, that he'd be born of a virgin, that he would live a sinless life, that he would point people to the kingdom of God that he would heal the deaf, heal the blind, heal lepers, raise the dead, and that he would be crucified, that he'd be arrested for crimes he never committed. That's why this Isaiah passage says he's humiliated. He's deprived of justice. He gets a punishment he does not earn. But he receives that punishment because of our crime, because of our sin. Our sin that should cause our death, instead of it coming on us, it's put on Jesus, and he dies. But to show his divinity, to prove that he has power over sin and death, God raises him from the dead three days later. And then he's seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. Then he ascends back to heaven. And then he sends the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, into the church, into you and me. So that we can still accomplish God's desire in the world to go and to baptize. That is the mission of our lives of the church. And there are a lot of other things in our lives that will that play an important part. 
our careers, our families, our education, our hobbies, all of those are good, godly things. But all of those things need to be centered around God's primary purpose of the church, to go, make disciples, and baptize. Because Jesus says, when you take care of that stuff first, Everything else in your life will fall into place. Your family, your education, your career, your hobbies, that stuff will get taken care of when we make the mission of God first. Now, before we kind of unpack this and talk about how we can share our faith, again, I just want you to understand how powerful this story is. Again, because it's quite familiar to so many of us, we forget how incredibly powerful this is. And and we have to just take a quick moment to remember who this Ethiopian eunuch is when it comes to the way the methods that were in place before. Here we have this Ethiopian eunuch. So this Ethiopian, he's, he's from an African culture. He's from an African country. And he's a eunuch. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, okay, this is going to be fun, parents. You can talk about this with your kids over lunch today. We're going to talk about <laughs> snip, snip, getting some private parts cut off. Okay, what? Exactly. The Bible is awesome. Kids who think the Bible's boring, man, read your Bible. It's amazing. There's some crazy stuff in your Bible. Okay? But this Ethiopian eunuch would have been rejected, completely, totally rejected by the people of God for two reasons. One, he wasn't Jewish. He's a black man from Africa. He'd be completely rejected just based on the color of his skin and the country that he was born in. Completely rejected. In fact, when we study, you know, the temple, the way the temple was structured is foreigners who were learning about God and wanted to worship God. No, you weren't welcome in certain parts of the building. You have to sit in the back because you're truly not welcome here. It's great that you want to worship our God. Eh, but you're not welcome. So there's a cultural thing at play here. And then there's a religious thing at play because in the Old Testament, God was building up a new people, creating a new nation, and was showing how their people were distinct and different than all the other nations. And again, this is where your Bible gets crazy. It's like, this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. <laughs> Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. <laughs> Sorry, parents. Talk about this. You're going to have a great lunch. It says, no one, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. It's in the Bible. Okay. And what this is, this is showing a religious separation of people. It's a complete separation. It's you're not welcome here because of these outward things. And isn't that so often what happens in religion, in when we so obsess on the methods, we make rules and categories and guidelines and categorize people of who is welcome and who is not welcome. But the message of Jesus tears down all of those barriers. You see, Philip goes to towns of people who he doesn't like. <laughs> Philip goes to towns where the townspeople don't like him. 
Philip talks to an Ethiopian eunuch who would have been rejected by country and by religion and points him to the one who accepts him. It's not about what country you were born in. It's not about what religious methods you keep. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so this is what I think why this story is so incredibly powerful here is that it gets us to the heart of what this is this church thing is all supposed to be about. That it's about making Jesus famous in our lives. Living lives by the power of the Holy Spirit that point more and more people to Jesus. So how can we do that better? Again, Acts chapter 8 gives us a guide. And again, this is just a guide from the text. This isn't an instruction manual. This isn't a Pastor Kevin guaranteed that this will work. This is a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you do these four points, all of your family and friends are all going to become Christian. I'm not saying that. (laughs) But I am saying this is a guide from the Word of God to help us grow and become more confident in being witnesses of Jesus in our pre-pagan culture. Okay, the first thing is this. I'd encourage you to write these down, talk about them in your life group this week. The first thing, if you want to improve as a witness, is to go where you are told to go. Go where you are told to go. We can see this from verse 26 and 27, where the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south, go to the desert road. And then he went. He actually went where the spirit of the God told him to go. Philip ends up in an area that he wouldn't normally be in. Like there's no reason for this Jewish man to be in these Samaritan towns apart from God telling him to do this. So you and I as followers of Jesus, we need to start with just going where God tells us to go. And for some of us, that might actually have to start with learning how to even hear God. How do I know where God is telling me to go? How do I know this? There was a great book that we had gone through as a church a few years ago called uh, Vertical Church uh, by Pastor James McDonald. And in his book, he's got a chapter on evangelism. And he talks about so often we as followers of Jesus are trying to bring the message of Jesus to, to people where God is not at work. <laughs> God is, there just seems to be no evidence of God working in these people's lives. And we come in all excited and all keen and all gung-ho and we bring this message of Jesus. But because God's not working there, there isn't this move of the Holy Spirit happening. We get punched in the throat, kicked in the groin, cast out. People get mad at us and then we get beaten up and then we stop sharing. Because it didn't go well the first time. It didn't go well the second time. And the question I've been asking myself in my own life, if I'm not seeing a lot of evidence of people coming to faith or people responding to the message of Jesus, is am I actually going where Jesus wants me to go? Am I actually talking to the people that Jesus wants me to talk to about him? And that takes some spiritual discipline. It takes prayer. It takes talking about it with other people in your life group. It takes encouragement. It takes maybe a friend to spur you on a little bit. It might take a friend to hold you back a little bit. 
But that's what we do in the context of fellowship and grow together in our life group so that we can seek God and actually go and talk to the people that God is working in. And I think one of the great ways that you and I can do this today here in our city and even around the world right now with with Greenbelt Online is the second thing is to start thinking cross-culturally. When it comes to sharing our faith, think cross-culturally. That's what Philip is doing here. Philip is stepping into a culture not his own. And what's fascinating about this is that this culture, this Ethiopian man, um, is interested in the things of God. He wants to know about the things of God. And he's looking at this as this amazing opportunity. Here's a Jewish man. Here's a Jewish man who would know about the prophet Isaiah. He would have grown up in this. He would have memorized this as a small boy. This is an amazing opportunity for this Ethiopian to get his questions answered. So much of the work that uh, Danielle and our ESL team, our chaplains, our volunteers has been doing over the past three, four years now has been cross-cultural. And where we're seeing the hugest response of people coming to faith is cross-culture. You see, this is the amazing thing about our country right now. You don't need to leave this city to go on a missions trip anymore. I remember just before the pandemic broke out, Danielle and I, we were praying and we were trying to figure out how do we have a greater impact in our community here. And we had gone up the road, um, just on Montreal Road to grab a bite to eat at lunch. And we just happened to be parked at one of the restaurants over there as the local high school up the road was letting out. And we're watching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids coming out of the school. And I was blown away. Because no word of a lie, it had to be about one out of 25 kids was Caucasian. The, the world has come to us. <laughs> and what's fascinating about the entire world coming to our city, coming to our community, is they think you're a Christian. <laughs> We've met Muslim people who assume, because we're white Canadians, assume we know this whole book by heart. <laughs> They, they assume that we're all followers of Jesus and that we're all passionate about Jesus because they've heard that this Canada is a Christian country. <laughs> and they are very open and very eager to learn about Jesus <laughs> and to hear about Jesus. And so suddenly, it's like, oh, it's not so scary sharing your faith in Jesus to people who actually want to hear about Jesus. <laughs> we need to put ourselves... Maybe for some of us in some situations where it might be a little bit more uncomfortable dealing cross-culturally, <laughs> learning people's cultures, learning what their backgrounds, so that we can be good witnesses there. If you want to grow in that, talk to Danielle after the service, because we need more and more volunteers. We need men. Special shout out to the men. We need men to volunteer in this, because when we're reaching out to Islamic men, they need to be able to talk to men, <laughs> And the Islamic women need to be able to talk to women. That's very cultural. This is cross-cultural ministry. So we need a few more guys. So they're just through a gauntlet down. <laughs> need some guys to help out. Go where you're told to go. Think cross-culturally. Number three, start with their questions. Start with their questions. 
right? Here we see that in chapter, in verse uh, 30 and 31, where this Ethiopian eunuch, he's got questions about what he's reading. He's got questions about God. Start with their question. Sadly, I think one of the things that we do in Western churches is we make assumptions about people. We make assumptions about (laughs) non-Christians. And we start building church programs. And if we just change the music, then non-Christians will come. Well, if we just do some really cool lights, then non-Christians will come. If we just get a smoke machine and fog machine and laser lights and flames that come out of the floor, that's next year's building plan, just if you were kind of wondering where I'm bringing us. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe. Okay, no, I'm just <laughs> I like fire. I don't know. Fire would be cool. It's very Old Testament for me. You know, flames, pillars of fire coming out during church service. It's very biblical. We should look into it. Okay, I'm just kidding. Maybe. Um, but we need to start with their questions. So often we just create things. We think we're answering questions that they have. And when I actually talk to some of my non-Christian friends or not my non-Christian families, sometimes I realize, holy smokes, I'm so off track. <laughs> the stuff they're wrestling with is not the things I think they're wrestling with. The things that I think they need is actually not what they need. So as followers of Jesus, we, we put their need first. Their questions first. How do we come alongside them? How do we bless them? How do we answer the questions that they actually have? It takes a little bit of work to do that. It requires us to maybe put down some of our preconceived notions about what they need and listen (laughs) instead of telling. (laughs) Just listen (laughs) and hear their needs, hear their questions. And then what we do is the next thing is then we point them to scripture. (laughs) That's what I love what Philip does here is he starts with this passage that this Ethiopian is already reading. And he points, and because this is a passage about the suffering servant. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah who's going to die for the sins of humanity. And he brings them back to scripture. (laughs) Again, one of the challenges for us is do we actually know how to share the gospel through scripture? Can we, as Christians here in Canada, do we know enough about our Bible to be able to point people to some of the big prophecies about Jesus? Can we walk them through some of the basics of the, go- the message in the gospel? You know, it's, so it's not that we have to be experts in systematic theology and have all of our doctrine absolutely perfect, but I believe every Christian should be able to pull out five or six key passages from your Bible that help point people to Jesus. This passage in Isaiah being another one of them. And if you're here today, we're watching online, and you don't know which ones they are, think all the sermons we preach at Christmas. <laughs> Because we go through them every year for the four weeks at Christmas. Go back, look at our Advent series over the last 11 years. There's your five passages. Behold, a child is born to us. Emmanuel, God with us. All of these passages that we talk about at Christmas, there's your five. Know where they are in the Bible. Be able to bring people back regularly to those passages. Because ultimately, this is what the final point is, and this is why we need to be able to do this, to go where we're told to go. Think cross-culturally. Start with their questions. Point them back to Scripture. We do this so we can point them to Jesus. See, the mission of our church is not to point anybody to Greenbelt Baptist Church. 
It's not my goal. It's not my goal. It's not my goal. My goal is to point people to Jesus. That they can grow in their faith. That they can learn that there's a God who loves them. A God who died for them. A God who rose from the dead for them. A God who wants to make them new. Wants to give abundant life and life to the full. And it's available not by the methods of church, but it's available by the message of Jesus. And that is why we proclaim Jesus every opportunity that we have. Because it's all about him. That's what's important. That's what gets us out of our comfort zone. That's what even causes a little bit of suffering on our parts. So that we could see more and more people know who Jesus is. And if you're with us today and you've never made Jesus a part of your life, you can do that real simply. Just by praying right where you are, online, you're here in the room. Just saying, God, thank you that Jesus died for my sin. Thank you that he paid a price that I don't have to pay. That I don't have to die for my sin that Jesus did in my place. Today, God, come into my life and make me new. And if you pray that prayer today online, there's a pop-up that shows up. Please click that. We'd love to follow up with you. If you pray that prayer here in the room today, tell me after the service. I'd love to pray with you and rejoice with you as well. Right? That is God's desire for our lives. God's desire for the church is that we would still go, that we would still see people get baptized. And so just very closing thoughts in way of application for each of us. Talk about these five points in your life group. How can you make these guidelines a little bit more real in how you share your faith wherever you go so that you could be pointing people to Jesus? Yeah, maybe some of you are here today and you've never been baptized. You accepted Jesus, but you haven't been baptized yet. One of these years, it's going to happen one day. Someday someone's going to get baptized and in their testimony story, they're going to say, well, when I went to Greenbelt for 20 years and I never heard the gospel and I never heard it was important to get baptized. And if I hear you say that, I'm going to hold you under the water for a little longer <laughs> because it's not because I didn't say it. It's because you weren't ready to hear it. <laughs> okay. But getting baptized, it's not because it's this religious thing. It's an outward expression of what God has done in here. And it's an incredible testimony at the work of God in your life, the work of God in the church. And it's a great opportunity to share your story with friends and colleagues who don't know Jesus. So consider getting baptized as that outward expression of what God has done in your life. And for those of us who've been following Jesus, who've been baptized, we're trying to improve in this. Ask God, God, where do you want me to go today? Where do you want me to go this week? God, who do you want me to speak to? And if you ask him, he'll show it. Then the trick for us is just to be obedient and respond. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you. Thank you that we can come together in this place and worship. And thank you, God, for the reminder that we get from your powerful word. God, thank you for the reminder in my own life to stop putting my plans first and my ideas first and the things that I want to do first. but trusting your plans and your will for my life. So, Father God, I pray for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be obedient, to go where you call us to go, 
Help us in the mission of reaching all the nations, not just the people we like, not just the people who look like us, not just the people who act like us, but all the nations, God. You've called us to be part of that work. So use us, Father, for that. And God, help us to point more and more people to Jesus everywhere that we go. And we pray this in his name. Amen.